0: So, welcome to episode three of the Allen's Geek Podcast. I'm uh, Joseph, your host, and uh, with me again is Jake. Hello! And uh, this episode may be a much more chaotic one because I didn't make any kind of a plan, no show notes for us to follow along. For our last episode it was also pretty chaotic. So, uh, let's see. We were talking about Legend of the Five Rings, the upcoming LCG, and the Lion Clan. Uh, there's a mechanic that I'm sure isn't exclusive to the Lion Clan, but a, a considerable number of the cards they've leaked so far have it. And it's called Pride, and in this very in, in this uh, version like <laughs> of the card game, in the original, the characters had a personal honor. Stat, And if you paid extra uh, when you fielded them, you could increase your clan honor by their uh, personal honor. uh, Which is handy if you had the gold to spare. But they got rid of that. And instead they have a numerical value, I can't remember what they call it, but it's printed apart from the rest of their stats. most relevant stats uh, are on the top left corner of the card. This number is printed center right side of the card, and that number under normal conditions, it does nothing. But when a character becomes honored, that number is applied as a bonus to their stats for doing military and political struggles. When that character is dishonored, It applies as a penalty to their stats for doing those challenges, political and military. And what the pride rule does is when that character is on the winning side of a challenge, they become honored. When that character is on the losing side of a challenge, they become dishonored. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) One other handy thing with regards to that mechanic is that if you are honored... And something dishonors you, you just lose the honored condition. You don't go from honored to immediately dishonored. You go from honored to nothing, and then if you get dishonored again, then you're dishonored. So you don't have a extreme numerical swing yeah. going there. So as long as, and so as long as you can get a win back at some point, you can get back your positive modifiers with greater ease than having to earn them back while also using them as a negative modifier.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be...
0: But that does mean that anyone that, lose, that a, a losing character with pride, if, if they get a string of losses...
1: It's a bad time.
0: You're, yeah, you're really in for it.
1: Um, so once you get that penalty, it's going to be really hard to climb back out of that hole.
0: Yes, and that is the only instance I've seen so far of sort of a, I guess it's a meta mechanic of, you know, win harder and lose harder. The product of you winning at something is that you get better at doing that thing, or the penalty for losing is having an even worse chance of succeeding in the future. One thing they deliberately did in this new version that avoids that is that in the original card game, you had four provinces, which were essentially your hand for the, um, what was called the Dynasty deck. And you, for a military victory, you beat your opponent by attacking their provinces, and if you beat them by an amount equal to or greater than a strength number that was printed on their uh, stronghold card, then you destroyed the province. Any cards that were in there got discarded, and it never came back. And once all your provinces were destroyed, you were out of the game. So if you lose a fight badly enough, you effectively get a hand-sized penalty for the remainder of the game, which then means it's going to be harder for you to get more stuff into play to recover from that loss. Jeez. So it was just a, a losing spiral You could lose one province and not be in too terrible of a position, but if you lost a second province, you didn't have much chance of coming back.
1: I'm flashing back to Risk.
0: (laughs) But um, they got rid of that for the LCG, so it's now, when you break a province, it, it just is a broken province, and I forget exactly how that varies, but you still get cards in that province. Being broken doesn't actually change anything. It's just that once you've broken, I think, at least three of your opponent's provinces, you can then attack their stronghold, and if you break the stronghold, then you beat them. That's cool. Yeah, but you don't have the loss cascade there of my hand size is shrinking while I also get a bigger and bigger hill to climb to recover.
1: <laughs> yeah, I brought up uh, Risk, classic game. Uh, I'd like to say that, you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about here, but I found out that there's quite a few people who haven't played Risk. I have never played Risk. You've never played Risk. That's, I find that I find that very surprising.
0: <laughs> well, about the same time I ever took an interest in Risk, I had also found the original um, version of Axis and Allies, which was, uh, like, advanced Risk. Yeah. So, and that's what we, uh, the... the three of us that were really interested in picking up a new board game we liked the look of that one better so we decided to try that one out and didn't buy Risk.
1: But no, the uh, Risk is another one that you can really get into one of those loss spirals really bad because your uh, reinforcements for any given turn are determined by the number of territories you control. And so if you had a really bad turn or alternatively a your opponent had a really good turn and they cleared out a bunch of your holdings, you could potentially lose huge uh, reserves of re- reinforcements for your next turn, which in turn makes it harder to recapture what you've lost in, pre- in, in, in previous turns and, and harder to expand your your resources. Because like a lot of the time, losing a territory can be enough to lose a huge bonus on your reinforcements for the turn. Because you get a, of course, if you control an entire continent, you get a, a major bonus. Like, 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 controlling Africa gets you a huge bonus for reinforcements for the turn. Hmm. Well, if somebody comes in and captures one Territory in, in Africa, you no longer control uh, Africa, so you lose the bonus from controlling you Africa. You control
0: regions, not just, a speci- not just the number of chunks that they've broken the map up into. <laughs>
1: But if I captured, say, six of your territories, not only do I rob you of your continent bonus, I rob you of those six extra armies you would have gotten. And since you got, as I want to say again, the bonus for Africa, I want to say is around four. So that's 10 fewer armies that you would get, which makes it way harder for you to reclaim. And so if you have a really bad turn where you lose a lot of territory, it can take you several turns of sitting still, bunkered down, trying to hold the line, just to be able to expand again. Right. And that long sitting still can be the difference between winning and losing that game.
0: Uh, yeah. One game that it struck me while you we were talking is kind of in a similar vein. But I've only played it one time, but it, it seemed like a pretty good spin on that sort of Area control, world domination style game is Scythe, uh, which is I think alternate history Earth type thing. It has a generally kind of steampunk vibe to it, the art and everything. But uh, pre World War One Europe, so it's oh basically in, like, Western Russia and northern Euro- and Central Europe that you're playing as, along with I think the British Isles. There's all kinds of different things that result in scoring points which is having won a certain number of battles and building the most number of mechs you have little mechs each country has mechs and you can build up to four of them but that's it (laughs) and they take a considerable amount of resources to build but you there's a bunch of different metrics by which you can be measured as, you know, winning. So there's military conquest and just building up your tech and I think there's one that's about, you know, conquering a certain amount of space. I didn't do very well because it's a pretty complex game and It was my first time playing, and I was playing with people that play it all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. Two of
0: which were extremely aggressive, competitive players. Oh, boy. So they were no help. One of the interesting things about this game uh, is that you get a randomly selected little board that has... It's split into four different sections, and each section has two different actions, basically, on it but they're not matched up the same ways. The boards are not identical to each other. And each turn, you get to do one of those four actions, one of those four sets there. And regardless of the situation, you get to do the first action that's in that section, but then the second one is something that's, I think, optional or conditional. I don't remember exactly. So you get this weird mix of, you know, I combine these two actions in one turn, but then somebody else will do maybe that same action with something completely different that's on a different section of your card. Because you all have access to the same sort of actions that you can do, but they're not paired up with each other in the same way. Okay. And on top of that, you cannot do the same thing two turns in a row. So you have a little marker that you put on that chunk of your board to remind you that that's what you did last turn and when you get around to your next turn you move that marker to another space so you can't put it on the same one uh, and there's you know all kinds of upgrades that you can uh develop for the different chunks of your board so that like it becomes you know cheaper and easier to manufacture mechs or um, when you build a monument or something, then, uh, your population's happiness increases or something. So there's all kinds of ways you can upgrade your little chunks of your board to make it more efficient. So it was very interesting a game, but it's gonna be a hard one for us to film. Yeah. Because we're gonna have to have two or three practice runs. Yeah. Because it's really complicated.
1: You've, you brought up the whole, uh, We can't do the same thing two times in a row. Mm -hmm. That mechanic, and I just remembered another game that does it. Do you remember the Space Hulk card game?
0: Yes, vaguely.
1: In that game, you, of course, build your squads of space marines that are making their way through the Space Hulk, getting attacked by uh, the Gene Stealer aliens. And it's a cooperative card game where you're trying to accomplish a goal, and you're actually playing against the deck of cards. Well, each squad, which is controlled by a player... It has three cards that are actions they can do. One of them is a special attack action. One of them is a defensive action. And one of them is a utility action. So like one squad will have a card they can play where it's like, okay, this turn we attack and we get, I have my machine gun guy. And so he gets a higher likelihood of hitting because his, you know, he has the assault cannon. So he sprays bullets everywhere. He's, he's got a better chance of hitting if I attack with him, but I can't play the attack card next turn. Mm-hmm. and so then they'll, 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 they'll have a card that you know okay well we can change up the order in which we're going to resolve actions this turn or we can change up how our defense works you know i'm, I'm more defensive this turn you know they, they, they had three different cards that filled basically three different strategic roles but you couldn't pick the same card two turns in a row once you played it it went out of circulation for a whole turn so if you so you couldn't just like stand at the door with your machine gun guy and spray bullets at the Gene Stealers until the room was empty. You had to attack, but the next turn you had to figure out some other way to support the team. And so it every, every once in a while we would have rounds where, by necessity, we would all have to attack that turn because there was no way we were going to survive if we didn't all throw our attack card down. But the next turn... We wouldn't have any ability to attack, so we're just sitting there watching the horde of aliens grow and build back up again.
0: And that is an interesting mechanic. I don't know what would you call that. Um, I guess having a cooldown period yeah. on action type of thing. Because if you say you only have two or three things that you can do, I feel like it makes it makes the game unpleasant because. You have so few options, but then if you have more than, say, four or five options, it sort of becomes irrelevant.
1: There's a sweet spot you have to find, like with every game, to figure out where the cooldown really matters. I think
0: around four seems like the good one. You know,
1: like... it's like three worked for de- for Space Hulk, just because only
0: three in Space Hulk. Yeah, you
1: had three. You had the three you could do in Space Hulk, but it worked for Space Hulk because of the very straightforward. You know, kick in the door nature of the game. Yeah. Like there, 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 was one strategy to get through that game. It was, it was, it was charge through the Hulk and get to where we're trying to do and accomplish our objective. A game with any more complexity than that three would be too few for it to be really even fair. Because Scythe gives you
0: four essentially.
1: But yeah, from what you said, it's four a,
0: basic actions and then a you know optional one that comes after.
1: But like you said, Scythe's a much more complex game than Space Hulk was. Oh, yeah. Very. Because again, Space Hulk kick in the door is the only way to describe kick that playstyle. Kill the
0: monsters, pick which one of your Space Marine guys you were gonna sacrifice, and uh, Then
1: kick in the next door, repeat oh, the process.
0: <laughs> hope you don't have to do that again. But you will. I was I was pondering in particular I was thinking about this board game that came out of Gen Con 2016. Um, Star Trek Ascendancy. Um, when I went to the Gale Force 9 booth, I was there for Tyrants of the Underdark. I didn't know anything about Star Trek Ascendancy, and I wasn't interested in it because while I have enjoyed Star Trek, I'm not super enthusiastic about it, and Star Trek games have been kind of underwhelming every time I've tried one.
1: But
0: I know some people that really loved Star Trek Ascendancy and most, I think everybody in line when we were waiting to pay for Tyrants of the Underdark every other person in the line had Star Trek Ascendancy. It was like they didn't even know Tyrants of the Underdark was there. Oh dear. And uh, I was poking around the internet recently and noticed that there's a couple of expansions for Ascendancy coming out. Well, that's cool. And I got to thinking, would I like this game? Would I be more interested in trying it out and giving it a chance if it wasn't Star Trek-flavored? Like, if it was, I don't know, colonial-era European countries conquering a continent or something. Or some something. Exploring
1: space. Or insert setting. And so that's what,
0: <laughs> that's, that was the, the odd little thought that I arrived at. Of That's a I think good question to ask yourself about a game was, you know, what is my least favorite sort of theme? You know, what aesthetic do I like the least? And would I play this game if it was wearing that instead of what it is? Because, for example, let's say uh, 40K Conquest LCG, if that had been some kind of a steampunk setting game, which I'm not terribly fond of steampunk stuff, not i don't hate it but it doesn't excite me would i have been willing to play that game and i think overall yes because it had a very good system to it and so i think that's kind of an interesting way to think about a game and to you know sort of measure is it actually a good game are the rules and mechanics good and well made and entertaining or is this or just they, a franchise I like? Are they acceptable, and I like it because it's wearing the face that I like? <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's definitely a good way to look at it, because I know I've had, I've had plenty of games that I've really enjoyed, the Space Hulk card game being one of them, mm-hmm. but other people that aren't as enthusiastic about 40k hate it. And part of me wonders is just, like, would I play that game if it was, just because it's inappropriate, if it was, like, the Aliens franchise?
0: I would i would have been much more enthusiastic about playing that if it was Aliens.
1: Whereas I think I would have been less. Because I
0: kind of only just would play that game. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it every time I did, but I just couldn't... I wouldn't have chosen to if it was, like, mm, I'm going to do this or conquest or
1: yeah you know. if there was another alternative you pretty much always would have picked the other alternative <laughs> now for me I'm, I'm i've never been a big fan of aliens but it's not because the aliens franchise is bad
0: i mean alien 3 was bad i've never
1: actually seen it past the first one but i was sick the first time i watched the first one mm-hmm. and i actually fell asleep during it which has created which has created a just a kind of a bleh impression of the movies because I've seen the first like 45 minutes to an hour and then the last 30 minutes and so there's a huge chunk of the movie missing for me which is why I don't I don't have a huge fondness for it
0: you missed all the suspense yeah (laughs) you just got the like Screaming murder. <laughs> it's like
1: I, like like it went from people hanging out around the dinner table and just being people to screaming murder and nothing in between. And I'm just like, what what is this? And so I've, and I've never gotten around to re-watching it because we only have it on VHS at home. And so I've just never gotten around to hooking up the VCR to watch it again. And so I just have this very bleh impression of the whole franchise. And I realize that it's a terrible reason to base my opinion that way because... From what I've heard, it's a fantastic movie, and most of the movies in the franchise are really good.
0: Uh, Alien was very good. Aliens, the, the immediate sequel to it, was pretty good too. Uh, Aliens Three was not terribly good, um, and Alien Resurrection was wacky. It was entertaining. But... I feel like
1: wacky shouldn't be a used a word used to describe a horror
0: franchise. <laughs> But um, I gotta say, the new movies that they've made, Prometheus and um, Alien Covenant, everyone I've heard talk about them hated Prometheus, but I thought it was really good. And it was not terribly consistent with the Alien movies, because the particularly the first three Alien movies are a horror-thriller-slasher type of thing. And frankly, you could easily think that Prometheus wasn't even an alien movie.
1: Yeah, a lot of people I've talked to about it have indicated that you don't even realize it's an alien movie until the end of the movie. Yes, if you
0: don't know it's part of the Aliens franchise, you will think about two-thirds of the way through that they're ripping off Alien, and then at the very end you go, oh, it's Alien. If if you had no knowledge whatsoever, and if you didn't uh, if you somehow didn't hear the you know the words Wayland yutani and Jack Wayland the couple of times they come up in the movie, you yeah. would think that it was not part of that franchise. But the biggest... that's a really good prequel, I think. Yeah. Because it like it goes back to before there were the that particular alien, the xenomorph, um, and it shows you where they started. That's cool. And yeah. So it was a great setup to alien covenant and alien covenant is a pretty good i feel like alien covenant is probably leading up to another movie and of course that but even then even just seeing prometheus it's a very good prequel to alien
1: okay the the, the biggest bad thing i've ever heard is what the uh, the cinema sins guys call the prometheus school of running away from things which is when a thing is falling down in a sort of lateral manner, and you run directly away from it instead of to the sides.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, um, that was a terrible idea. And that does happen, and it's very noticeable. I enjoyed how they uh, accomplished that event that happens there. I'm trying not to spoil it. So I feel like, well, the movie's only a few years old. You should still hold back on spoilers.
1: And it's not like original Alien, which is older than
0: you know me. <laughs> I may have to force you to watch Prometheus sometime soon.
1: <laughs> eventually, I think Kat's going to get tired of it. And she's going to make me rewatch Alien eventually, if, if if we ever get around to getting it on disc instead of tape.
0: I've got it on disc. <laughs> I've got the entire quadrilogy, <laughs> which is just an awful term. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like somebody made a point about the new Transformers that's coming out, which for Dating purposes is Transformers The Last Night, And in the in the tagline for Transformers The Last Night, they, they talk about how it's the final battle. It's the final chapter.
0: That's what they say on every one of them, isn't
1: it? That's what they said about the third movie.
0: And this is the... Sixth.
1: <laughs> it's either the si- fifth... It's the fifth of the sixth. But yeah, the uh, when the third movie, which was um, Dark of the Moon... When Dark of the Moon came out, because you had, you had Transformers, then you had Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and then for Dark of the Moon, they indicated that Dark of the Moon was the last, the last movie. It was the end of the story, and it, and it feels like the end of a trilogy, and then Age of Extinction came out out of left field. All oh, right, <laughs> and then okay, yeah. So it's it's movie number five is uh, the last night, and last night came out, and last night's tagging it as the final chapter, and it's saying that it's, it's the final battle,
0: and and all of this, and it's just well, I think we've kind of run our course here with this episode.
1: Yeah, I don't think we can drag this out any further without being hypocrites.
0: <laughs> well, without any kind of a, a plotted out plan, uh, this just feels like the natural point for the end of the conversation. Yeah. So, Thank you for listening and
1: uh, hope to see you soon.
0: Yep. Part of the. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cat mauling Jake uh, um, for attention. Attention mauling. Um, but.